And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Mark chapter 10, verse 52. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This exchange between Bartimaeus and Jesus, as recorded in today's Gospel reading, um, is presented to us who hear it as a paradigm to serve for our own conversion to Christ. And when I say conversion there, just to define terms, I mean it in the way that Anglicans usually always mean it, um, which is in a double sense, not only the sort of first conversion to Christ, when sort of, as it was stepping out of darkness into light, who Christ is and what the gospel is, first makes sense and you kind of grip it, and your life is forever turned in a different direction, sort of initial conversion, which uh, if you were baptized as a child, hopefully comes in like late childhood, early adolescence, or sometimes if as an adult, you would be baptized after that first conversion. So there's initial conversion, but also the subsequent conversions which take place in the life of the Christian, that returning to Christ, right, repenting or converting by degrees as we apprehend the gospel more profoundly and give our life more profoundly to him. I once um, knew a, a wise old pastor who said the Christian life can be well summarized, sort of the growth in the Christian life of giving all that we have of ourselves to all of Christ. And that both of those quotients are growing as we grow in the knowledge of Christ and from that actually a knowledge of ourselves and giving ourselves to him. So the subsequent conversions of the Christian life, St. Benedict says the Christian life should be marked by continual conversion, continually turning toward Christ. It's not just um, sort of homiletical fancy that would try and take this story and make it a paradigm. There's these little clues in the text that that's how the Holy Spirit wanted us to read it. And right at the beginning, there's the first one, that there's this underscoring of um, Bartimaeus' name. Um, Bar is the word for son in Aramaic, and everyone in Judea would have known that word. And so his name is like extremely plain meaning. Uh, like in the same way when you, we hear the last name Johnson, we hear like, oh yeah, like son of John, right? Like Bartimaeus. But it says Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, right? There's this sort of underscoring. And when you catch the, the Greek word um, Timaeus is the word worthy. It sounds like the word worthy, like the son of worth, the, the son to be esteemed. It's like, okay, there's this underscoring. This is, a, this is a, uh, a sto- an event, but also a parable to be imitated. And then at the very end of the uh, healing story as well, we have this um, one-sentence addition, which isn't there in a lot of the other gospel accounts, right? It's like usually Jesus heals someone, and he's in a boat across in the lake, and he heals someone, and he's over to the next town. And here, it's, he heals Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus follows him on the way that we see this conversion to discipleship. And remembering that the way was the nickname for Christians before they were even called Christians. Following him on the way. So those are the clues, I think, that we should read this um, in a paradigmatic sense. So therefore, of course, the blindness is a metaphor for spiritual blindness, for those who have not ever, ever been converted, for the total blindness of spiritual sight. Uh, But for those of us who have been initially converted and are seeking to turn to Christ more and more for that continual opening of the eyes to see what is true. So I want to unpack the story of Bartimaeus kind of um, sequence by sequence for what it illustrates to us about our own life in Christ. So it begins with um, Bartimaeus hearing that Jesus is passing nearby. Right? He's sitting outside 
uh, it says outside the gates of Jericho. And there's this commotion of the crowd, and he hears that it's Jesus. This corresponds uh, in our own day, I think, to two phenomena. One, phenomena. Uh, one is whenever the word is read. Whenever the Bible is read, Jesus is passing nearby because the Bible speaks of Christ. So that's sort of a way in which we can think of it. Less sort of easy to pin down, but just as real. It's also the case that Jesus draws near to us in moments, even, in, I say, in the day or in the, in, on different days. And to be very clear, it's not that Jesus is ever far from us. Right? God is omnipresent. He's always with us. And for the believer, he's always seated in your heart through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is never far away. Let me be really clear about that. Um, but I was trying to think of like, but yet the scripture speaks in the language of God drawing near. And so the picture that comes to mind is the, that of the, the sun orbiting the earth. That it's always roughly, and I know the scientists among us would say, well, there's a variation of a few miles here and there in the orbit. But roughly the sun is always the same distance. Uh, I look at Lincoln because he's a, he's a scientist. So. Um, um, the sun is always roughly the same distance, but the feeling of light shining on us at dawn is different than when the light shining on us at noonday, right? It's a more intense brightness. And I think that corresponds to our mysterious mystical life in the spiritual realm, interacting with the invisible God. That there are moments when he draws near. Like when the, when the light is blazing bright, and other times where it, be, it feels like the light is sort of dimmer or cooler. Um, and when John of the Cross speaks of the dark night of the soul, it's when it feel, you can't feel any light, even though Jesus is no further away than he ever was. So there are moments when Jesus draws near to us in the spiritual realm. It's a difficult thing to even conceptualize because it's in the invisible realm. But Bartimaeus pays attention to Jesus passing by, and that's the first thing to note. That I think that, it, you know, sort of transposing Bartimaeus as a figure for all of us um, into our modern day, if Bartimaeus had been just locked to his phone, <laughs> there could have been this commotion that he just completely missed. And think about the alternative, right? Like, he just completely missed it. Distraction is the first thing to pay attention to so we don't miss out on Jesus drawing near. And then Bartimaeus affirms Jesus' true identity for himself with his own lips. Right? Which is the very first act of faith. Right? Jesus, of course, already was the son of David before Bartimaeus said it out loud. But Bartimaeus doesn't say, Hey, you, healer man, right? I need something. He calls him who he is, son of David. Right, which for the Jewish ear is a synonym with Messiah, right, the long-awaited son of David a thousand years later. Messiah. And then he affirms what is true at sort of, you could say, a head level doctrine, but then he cries out with earnestness. It says, it's repeated twice in the passage, crying out, right, yelling, have mercy on me. Which is the root of all of our petitionary prayer, right? I mean, everything falls under the category of mercy. We either need, we're asking for mercy, for physical and spiritual provision. He cries out with earnestness, and then he's rebuked by the church. This, 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 this gathering of people that are following Jesus, this is at the very, um, the very last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's had people following him now for a couple years, who've seen him do miracles, who have some, are getting some sense of his authority, and who he is, who this Messiah is in front of them. It's his disciples, the twelve, and the entourage of, of nearer disciples, and then this sort of great crowd that is sort of almost like a comet, like they're following Jesus everywhere he goes, like a tail. And those very people who are following Jesus rebuke Bartimaeus, right? Shh, be quiet, stop it. Even after Jesus has already rebuked them, 
for stiff-arming people who want to come to Jesus. Remember, we heard just a few Sundays ago, you know, they, they were preventing the kids from coming to him, and Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me. So here they are again, stiff-arming earnestness. And I think this is actually a figure for the Christian life in the church, that there's something a little bit embarrassing about taking it all actually seriously. I say, no, this guy's really the son of David, right? He could really actually help me. Have mercy on me, right? Enthusiasm in the church has always been a little bit like, there'll always be some uh, who take the name of Christ. And I don't mean here like in this parish, like people are going to be looking down on you. But I mean in the church at large, if you take your Christian faith with the seriousness that it just asks for, there'll be many who take the name of Christian who'll be like, oh, you're taking it all too seriously, man. Don't worry about it so much. Right? That's sort of the classic voice of lukewarm Christianity. Christians embarrassed by earnestness. They say, no, I really believe this, and I'm crying out to my Savior because I need his mercy. Despite the church here acting characteristically badly, Bartimaeus persists in his earnestness. It says he cried out all the more. Like, forget you guys. I know I need Jesus. And then what's wonderful is Jesus here overrides his entourage, the church around him. Right? And I'm greatly comforted by this, that the church in our many, many brokennesses and foibles, and here I mean sort of the universal church, all the Christians on earth, um, we don't thwart the purposes of God, that he actually can yell over the crowd, the church getting it wrong, and call out the individual soul and say, no, no, bring him here. And then, thankfully, some in the crowd does the better part of the church and is actually an intermediary sort of convoy and, and relays the message to Bartimaeus encouraging him to draw near to the one who um, has drawn near to him. And then Bartimaeus' actions then, having heard that Jesus is personally calling him, correspond to his faith. Remember, he's blind, fully blind, throws off his cloak. Right? And here, this is, I think it's no accident that we just heard in the Gospel about the rich young ruler who couldn't let go of his material possessions. Right? Throwing off his cloak, his expensive overgarment, and then springing up. Again, I've never seen a blind man spring up. Right? They move slowly because you, you're going to stumble and fall over things. Springing up and sort of excitedly coming to Jesus as a sort of excited thrust in his, these descriptions of his actions. And so Bartimaeus sort of blindly clambering his way through this entourage, this crowd of disciples, comes to Jesus. And then this sort of train of excitement that this, this account is presenting seems to slam with a halt to Jesus then investigating with this question. What do you want me to do for you? Right? Does anyone else kind of feel that? Sort of like, <laughs> what? And Jesus, we know also in the Gospels, he knows what's in a, in a man, not just right? he, what's on the outside. He knows every one of this man's physical and spiritual needs. His blindness would have been apparent right, instantly. Jesus isn't asking for information, like, ah, what seems to be the problem, right? He's asking for Bartimaeus to bring it up. What do you want me to do for you? And we don't know if Bartimaeus already was sort of coming to him with blindness. It hasn't come up in the story yet, right? He's just asking for mercy. Or if he had to sort of stop and think about it. You know, he's asking for mercy. What do I want? It's a great thing... um, it's a great thing to sort of hear the Lord saying to us in our own prayers, this sort of transition from just asking generally for mercy, you know, thy will be done, have mercy on me, have mercy on this situation, 
to then hear the Lord in, the, in your spirit. Well, well, what do you want me to do for you? Right? If, the, if he, the living God, is going to intervene in history, in, in, in the normal course of things, to change something according to your prayers as they're found in Christ Jesus, what is it that you want him to do? And being definite about what we're asking is a great stimulus to faith. To realize, like, yeah, well, God, I'm actually asking you to change this person's heart entirely. Right? Let's just be clear what I'm asking for. I'm actually asking you to like, move enough sort of chess pieces of the world around that there might be an end to a pandemic. Right? What, what are we asking? To move to specific requests. So Bartimaeus gets specific. He asks for his sight, which then Jesus instantly gave him. Immediately, he, re- he received, recovered his sight. And then Jesus explains, um, your faith has made you well which isn't the full description. It's a sort of a teaching point of a portion of the description because, of course, it's God who made him well, right? The power of God working through Jesus himself, making him well. But Jesus wants to kind of point out to Bartimaeus and to everyone watching and listening, the catalyst here was faith. God wills that all would be saved. But the catalyst here is your faith that makes you well. And what I love about the Gospels is that they put flesh and bone on these theological words. Like we know that word faith as we read the New Testament, right? It's by faith that you have, by grace you've been saved through faith. You've been justified by faith. Well, how do we flesh out the word? Well, look at Bartimaeus. He was paying attention. He affirmed Jesus' identity. He cried out earnestly. He persisted in that prayer, right? Despite even the church acting badly and rebuffing him. He springs up, leaving the world of sense behind. And then he makes a specific petition implying that he believes Jesus could really do it. That's faith. And then he gets to see Jesus face to face. So think about this. A man who's ne- we don't, it doesn't say if he was born blind, I don't think. Um, but presuming that he was born blind, um, or at least has been blind for an extremely long time, to, to get the first thing you see to be the face of Jesus. And think of this picture that he's, he's actually... I mean, we don't know how far apart they were standing, but, you know, maybe three feet away. He's three feet away from the Son of God himself, but he can't see him because he's blind. But he's talking to him. And so this is a picture of all of us, right? We don't see Jesus, but we're talking to him. But then to receive sight, have the first thing you see be Jesus. Um, What a wonderful thing to see at first. And I want you just to think for a second about the face of Jesus. And something I was reflecting on is how our lives get etched onto our faces. Right? For those who have a lot of stress, like the wrinkles and the crow's feet. Um, when you're someone who is a very ungrateful, grumpy person, their face kind of, over time, becomes like this. You know? right? Our faces, our, our hearts get engraved on our faces. And so in sin and brokenness, our faces, apart from the redemption of Christ, become hard and cruel. But Jesus never sinned. So think about how beautiful his face must have been. How bright and lovely his face must have been that, G- that Bartimaeus then saw. Corresponding, of course, to us when we die and get to see Jesus face to face. But even in this life, spiritually, in those drawing near moments, when it's like, ah, it seems like the sun is really beaten down. (laughs) To actually then see Christ with the eyes of the heart as he draws near. The first thing Bartimaeus sees is Jesus' face. And then immediately after this, um, Jesus then goes into Jerusalem in the triumphal procession, like this Palm Sunday procession. So here's Bartimaeus saying, son of David, and then just the, you know, the next moment, Hosanna, son of David, he's entering Jerusalem. So just imagine Bartimaeus' life, you know, he says he follows the disciples, he follows on the way. 
So he's like, you just saw Jesus, and then he sees Jesus, and he's like, wow, the whole world loves Jesus. This is a Hosanna. Yeah, Hosanna to the son of David. This is amazing. And then five days later, to see the one who had opened his eyes nailed to a tree. I mean, for it would have been jarring for all disciples, especially for Bartimaeus, who just saw this man, to see him killed, tortured and killed. I think like the rest of the disciples who had not yet received the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, um, that would have been bewildering to Bartimaeus. What's, why is this happening like this? What's your, what are you out to, God? But then Bartimaeus, like the other disciples, would have been illumined by the Spirit at Pentecost. And then he who had had his physical eyes opened would have had his spiritual eyes opened for the first time and permanently. And all of a sudden to see that Jesus, who had sort of passed by him physically a week ago, or at that point several weeks ago, was still drawing near to him in the spirit, in his resurrected body. And to connect the dots that Jesus doesn't just die on a cross as some sort of bewildering event, but that he died on the cross for me. That Bartimaeus, just like us here 2,000 years later, would have, rec- would have sort of recognized, oh wow, this, this happened, he died from, from my sins. Not just died as a fact, but died for me. And therefore Jesus isn't just the son of David, but that his profession would have become fulfilled. Would have um, gone further, I mean. Not just the son of David, but the very son of God. Which he was from all time, was in Bartimaeus' day, and still is. Amen.